Welcome back, podcast patrons, to another episode of Leave the Pin Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Dan. We've got no intro, and I got my man, Scott, back with me. Scott, what is the good word? Uh, what's going on, everybody? It's uh, it's good to be back, and it's been a while. It's been, it's been a minute, as they say, um, but it's crazy here. But you know what? We had to talk U.S. Open, so here we are. Yeah, so literally about... Four days ago or so, this would have been perfect scenario. Best case scenario for Leave the Pin podcast. Bryson DeChambeau, big boy Bryson, winning the U.S. Open, leaving the flag in at times, leaving the pin. Um, But then something happened, Scott. Something terrible, if you will. But I refuse to be held down by this faux bodybuilder, faux powerlifter who exaggerates his gains. This man thought so strongly about this that he decided to block you and I during the U.S. Open. First of all, why is Bryson DeChambeau blocking this podcast in the middle of the U.S. Open while he's in contention? Okay. First of all. Okay, first of all, you're right. I do want to say this, however. First off, it's phenomenal being back recording podcasts with you. It sucks doing it by yourself. I'll get that out of the way. Secondly, okay, everybody thinks that this podcast's name is an homage to Bryson, and it's not. It's an homage to the USGA. It's the USGA that we love. Bryson just happened to be the one to 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 wave the flag out on tour, right? We're waving it for the common folk and the common man and woman and et cetera, et cetera. But he's doing it out on tour. So he was like our most high-profile pro that was always leaving it in and even said so in our intro, which you will not hear anymore because if we're dead to him, then he's dead to us. Yeah, you would think he'd have better things to do. I also don't really understand what we what we did to him. Like, okay. I-, I thought we were cool. Here's let, let's 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 go back, okay? And yes, this is the last episode you're not going to hear an intro because our man Tiger Hoods is going to record an intro for us. So we go from having uh, um, a a faux flag bearer of the podcast who blocks us to having you know your favorite golf rapper's favorite rapper name-checking us and making us our own intro. So I think we win on that account. Oh, definitely. I mean, that's, it's essentially the, uh, it's one of our lifelong dreams, I think. Like, literally, who else has a podcast where a rapper is creating a song for them? There are other podcasts that I'm sure use music in their intros, but this is, this is our own. We have our own song being produced right now, Scott. That's you know what that's where when we've hit the big time is when somebody has volunteered to to record an intro for us um, to replace our our previous intro which is no longer valid because the golfer mentioned who's in it is dead to us. He who shall not be named. Look, we in the last week have received emails from the USGA thanking us for having them on the pod and promoting the museum. We have had emails from 
and I don't, I, I, I promise I wouldn't say names, but we, we've had emails from high-ranking USGA officials that you and I both know who basically said in not so many terms, if I could sneak you guys in, I would. Unfortunately, everything's kind of, you know, very, uh, very low-key here and everything's super tight. We have the man who won the U.S. Open taking time out of his week while he's in contention to personally block us. And then we have a rapper who has cre- who has his own albums out creating a song for the podcast. It's been a hell of a week, buddy. That's, I mean, th- it's definitely, I'd say, top five weeks in my life. Just, just throwing that out there. All right. So let's get back to the agenda item at hand. Bryson DeChambeau, U.S. Open champ Bryson DeChambeau, from henceforth, he who shall not be named, decided to block us during the second round of the U.S. Open. Now, personally, Scott, I think it's probably not him. I think it's probably his cronies. But we went from Bryson liking our posts, commenting on items that we would post, to blocking us. That's very weird considering we have done nothing but sing he who shall not be named praises. Uh, yeah, I, I even, you know, I, I had said, you know, like he should lean into the whole science guy thing and maybe that is what he's doing and maybe, you know, maybe that's he's trying to change his reputation now. He wants to not be known as the science guy. He wants to be the, you know, the the swole guy out there. Well, so, okay, let's all right. Let's 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 unpack that for a second. He is, in his own words, and I pulled up an article from a while ago, quote, I am not a very smart man. Okay, now I could end quote there, and that would be a great snippet, right? I am not a very smart man, but he says, I'm not a very smart man. However, what I do, I am dedicated to that. I can learn Arabic if I want, because I'm dedicated. I could learn any new language, because I'm dedicated. I'll be the greatest at golf because I'm dedicated. It's not because I'm the smartest. It's because I work the hardest and I am dedicated. Now, let me get some things out for everyone. I am not knocking this man's hard work and dedications through the roof. We saw him in freezing temperatures Saturday night till 830 at night on the range, lit um, at Wingfoot working on the game. Okay. I secondly commend the man who shall not be named henceforth for not only his work ethic, but his ability, like Sid Vicious said, to do it my way. All right? You know, Scott, everyone that listens knows I have a very awkward swing, right? Mm-hmm. I do things a little bit unconventionally. So I love that. I love him. I love Matt Wolf, And I love Bryson challenging the status quo in golf. Uh, one of which I am not the biggest fan of. So all of those things would lead you to believe that I should be this man's biggest fan and supporter out there. But that is not to be, Scott. It's not. I mean, and that's the thing. Like, I almost feel like, I I almost feel betrayed. I I really do. Because not that we were out there, you know, as if we were his biggest fans. But we certainly, I I would say, we, we defended him. We acknowledged that his, you know, his shtick, as it were, was you know was decent for the game it was it's good to have a character and then he just goes ahead and blocks us so whatever 
it uh, is it is whatever i will i will tell you this i still have very fond memories of he who shall not be named uh at oakmont his first u.s open he took the time to come underneath the ropes talk to both of my kids and i feel like scott that was one of the last times that we saw a true authentic bryson you say it all the time on the pod and i'll give you a hundred percent credit in that he leans in to what the media says. Unlike Brooks, who goes completely against anything the media says, Bryson is always the guy that leans into it. Oh, they think I'm smart. Let me show you how smart I am. And he memorizes a few words, and he messes them up and gets them in the wrong conjunction and order. But he's always trying to please to the point where it becomes almost disingenuous. And I I, want to talk about one point yesterday which I'll probably get grilled for because I just don't think it was real. I don't think it was endearing. I don't think he meant it. When he came off um, and he was under the archway and he came back and there was the big screen, you know, Mm -hmm. Skype call or whatever. And, you know, he saw his parents. I just feel like if no cameras were on him, that's not the way he would have reacted. It seemed like everything he does seems like he's playing it up for the cameras. Uh, I feel like maybe the initial reaction was authentic, but the whole situation went on a little bit too long. So that leads me to believe that some of it was definitely played up for the camera. Right, like, thank you for sacrificing everything for me and all that. Like, And I'm sure that they did, but... If I win the U.S. Open and my parents are on the screen or you're on the screen or you're on the bag or something, like, I'm flipping out when I see you. Like, yo, can you believe this? Right, right, right. Oh, absolutely. And then then the last thing, and I, and I do want to, and we're going to talk about his play, obviously. It was astronomical, okay? Oh, let's great. not Let's not, you know, pretend that the guy did not murder it out there because what he did was unreal. I mean, he... He dissected one of the most classic courses in the U.S. by doing it his way. But here's the last thing that proves to me that he who shall not be named is nothing more than a corporate shill. Steve Sands, right off the bat, asks a question, and I don't even know what the question was anymore because I was so taken aback by his answer. But he asks something along the lines of, um, you know, tell us about Chris Como and tell us about, oh, no, he said, tell us about what this means to you, doing it your way, gaining the weight and the distance, um, not listening to the skeptics. Tell us what this U.S. Open means to you. And instead of thanking all the key people or sending love to all the people that supported him, it went right to, um, well, Steve, first off, let me thank Audemars. Let me thank Bentley. Let me thank, you know, uh, right. uh, Cobra, uh, you know, all, all, it was just, it was astronomical. And he went off for like 15 different sponsors and he nailed all of those. But then later on when he was asked like, you know, hey, name the people that, oh, I'm not sure I'm going to remember all of them. Right, exactly. Yeah, like who's the guy who who sprays his golf balls with water so he can make sure that, you know, he's getting an accurate you know, an accurate distance in wet weather. You know, so we're not thanking that guy. But yeah, we're definitely gonna re- we're definitely gonna remember the CEO of Puma. Right. 
Exactly. Um, so, so that to me was one of those things where I was like, dude, come on already with this crap. Like just, just be a normal person. And he seems just too robotic to me. Well, that's the, that's the thing. I mean, it, it's, he's the golf machine. That That's the book that he's basing this whole, you know, swing and everything off of. So he's, he's the more machine, the better. Yeah. That's, that's what he wants to be. Um, all right, look, let's, let's break down what this man did because honestly it's one for the record books. I mean, it's in, in terms of golf, personal feelings aside, and, and you know what? I can do that. Um, Mr. DeChambeau, I can take, I can put personal feelings aside and congratulate you on what you did out there. Um, because I, unlike you, am a good person. So, Scott, he goes 69, 68, 70. That was like the one blip on the radar mm-hmm. if you want, even par on that Saturday. Um, and that's only because he misses that that par putt on 18, which was like three and a half feet. He makes that, and he's under par all four days. And then, okay, look, fourth round, t- trailing Matt Wolf by two going in. Dude goes out and shoots 67 in the final round. Of a U.S. Open, I, I, he played. I, he played great all four days. Really, I mean, obviously Saturday is kind of, eh, but uh, when you look around, really, almost nobody played that well on Saturday. Um, I mean, I, I have. I have to say, I mean, the, the all if his new style is just bomb and gouge, and and if you miss fairways, you miss fairways. You're, you know, at least you're further down closer to the hole uh, it it seems to work for him and anytime you're under par in a u.s open you have a a good chance of winning especially if you're the only one who's under par so you know it's funny after the first day wingfoot members and um you know media members really kind of complained a lot about the scoring right jt goes out and shoots like what 65 or something like that, or and people like, there's 23 guys under par, this is a U.S. Open. You know, what people re- need to realize is there are some very easy pin positions at Wingfoot, especially with the redesign that Gil Hans did. There's a lot of bowls there, and you put the you put a flag in a bowl, and then mm-hmm. your area to, to, to hit, instead of, you know, Jack Nicholas always described Pinehurst number two as like hitting to the back of a, or the hood of a Volkswagen Beetle, right? Sometimes there were spots at Augusta too. He said you basically had the room to land the ball on the hood of a Volkswagen Beetle. Well, that's true at Wingfoot when the pins are in certain positions, but when you put them in little bowls here and there, now that area extrapolates, you know, extrapolates out to like ten Volkswagen Beetle. Hoods. That's a car, people, for all the youngsters. Yeah, I was say. Okay, that's a car that's not made anymore. It's pretty iconic. Look it up. It was also Bumblebee. Um, but but Bryson, like you said, the mindset being bomb the ball as far as I can, worry about the aftermath when I get there. I was talking with Tyler, the creator, this morning, and he said, dude, uh. what you, he said, what did you think about this? I said, well, Phil made a great point. Phil made a point that one of the reasons that guys are bombing it here and scoring so well is because Wingfoot has almost every green that's open to a run-up. Now, juxtapose that, Scott, to a Beth Page, to a Pebble, um, to even a, a Chambers Bay, <laughs> where there's lots of undulations. Um, you know, you've got to flight the ball high. Uh, and, and Oakmont, right? 
That mm-hmm. style that Bryson employed and Matt Wolf to a certain degree employed, he hit no fairways on Saturday. That style doesn't work at other U.S. Open courses. So I feel like this was the perfect storm of, you know, Bryson coming of age, murdering the ball off the tee. He who, who shall not be named, murdering the ball mm-hmm. off the tee. Uh, and then couple that with a course that really set up for that style. Yeah, and that's the thing. I mean, the only uh, the only real danger there, it, it, obviously, if you're way offline, you're way offline. But the only real danger at Wingfoot is the rough. And if you're strong enough to get it out of the rough, which Bryson certainly seemed to be, um, and you could kind of run the ball up and and then you're okay. And again, you know, there are horses for courses, as they say. And maybe this is just, this was set up well for him and that style of play. And again, you can't fault Bryson for that. He, you know, that's part of the game of strategy and course management. So, you know, he, he takes all those things into account and decides, okay, this is the best way for me to win and goes out there and he executed. So, Good on him. Yeah, and for everyone complaining, uh, you know, about this new bomb and gouge style, it, it's not new. I mean, you know, it's been around for 10, 15 years. This is this is probably as, as extreme as it can get on the PGA Tour. Hale Irwin was complaining a little bit about it. Everyone remembers him for, you know, winning the massacre at Wingfoot, and I think he's probably a little bit pissed that he won at seven over, and Bryson wins at six under. But... This this is today's golf. This is new age golf. And whether you like it or not, the powers that be have allowed technology to get to this point. And so I bear no ill will towards any pro out there that is using what they're allowed to do to their advantage. That's a good point. And you know what? It, if... No one's going to complain anyway, but the USGA has only themselves to blame. This A, and and look, we ride or die for them, and there's people that we love within the organization, but let's be honest. This is something that could have been throttled back 20 years ago, and we would not be here today. We would not have to add 600 yards to championship courses and still have guys shooting under par, still have guys that have wedges into... Bryson had... Bryson had oh, uh, went driver nine iron to the par five to number I think, nine. I think, and I, I think Wolf did too. And I think Wolf actually hit it about 15 yards. Bryson. Yeah. And, so. and I mean, let's be honest, the, the two Eagles within the week on, on number nine. I mean, that only happens because of technology. Right. So, uh, and you know, when I say that, you know, the USGA has only themselves to blame. I don't think they're blaming themselves. I think that they're, they, as long as everyone's playing with the same rules, they've done their job. Um, and they've done their job, I think. You know, it's not like other golfers didn't have the opportunity to, to develop this type of game. They certainly did. And just, yeah, you know, this week, Bryson and, and to an extent, Wolf were just better at it than they were. Where, where do you see, if anywhere, the USGA going from here after, you know, uh, people will say oh, Bryson made a mockery of that course. And, you know, I, I could see that to a certain extent. I look at it like 
he took advantage of every situation that was presented to him. And I think that's what a champion does. Um, where do you think the USGA goes in terms of course setup now? Do you think it becomes something like the Masters when they tiger-proofed Augusta in, you know, from like 98 to 2000, and then all it did was make it easier for Tiger to win? Here's the thing. I don't think they do anything. I don't think they need to. I think the I, honestly, I I think that this U.S. Open is probably what they want the U.S. Open to be. I think they want it to be, you know, par is a good score, and they want somebody to you know take the take the reins of the tournament and run with it. And honestly. If you look at the the leaderboard, par was a good score, and one guy ran away with it. And you know that's the guy who played the best. It's the, it's like they say they you know they're not looking to embarrass the best golfers in the world. They're looking to identify them. And, and, I, and I think I think let me cut you off real quick. Yeah, that's, that's a great. Cool. It's a it's a great point that you make, right? This course and this setup did reward the best golfer of the week, and there were some. You know, there were some um, wannabes, right? There was Matthew Wolf, Louise mm. Tazen looked like he was there. There was Patrick Reed. But in the end, after four days and after the week-long championship, Wingfoot and the USGA setup literally identified the only person that was able to tame the course. And isn't that what we want in a championship? Uh, yes, that exactly. Uh, and I'm actually, I'm going to look it up. I don't know if I'm going to be able to find it. Uh, Louis Oosthuizen is not the longest guy in the world off the tee. No, no. Um, I, I wonder where he was in terms of driving this week. Well, I think you know, if if nothing else, what it shows is that there are different ways to get it done, right? And isn't that why we love golf? It, it, isn't that it? I mean, isn't it the fact that you can go out and play a big fade? I can go out with a, a quirky swing and 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 play this trap draw. And we can work our way around the course, and, and we do it in completely different ways, but we can both score. Because at the end of the day, Scott, what matters? The number that you put down on a scorecard. The clubs don't know who swung them. The ball doesn't know who hit them. The bottom line is get the ball in the hole in the shortest amount of strokes, and you're the better person. That That's a really good point. So uh, real quick. What are you um, finding on Louie? Uh, I'm looking for him. So real. So first of all, num- number one this week was um, Ryan Fox. Was he right. playing? Here, here's here's yeah. what I let me give you this that I found off of Louis. Let's go based off of strokes gains off the tee first. Okay? okay, he's 123rd on this you know revamp PGA Tour season. That's not okay. good. I'm I'm going to ask you now. You have not looked this up, right? Go ahead. Okay. What do you think Louis Ustazen's average driving distance is? 295. You're not even close. It's 307. Okay. That's insane for Louis. Where do you think 307 ranks on the PJ Tour this year? 115. Very close. 120. Okay. So if that doesn't say something that we have a distance problem, yeah, I don't know I don't know what does. Well, you average three oh seven. You average three oh seven. That doesn't mean they all are. You average three oh seven, and you're hundred and twentieth on the list. It's all a distance game. 
he who shall not be named took advantage of that. Good on him. It it is all it is obviously all a distance game and and that's fine. But again, they're all they're all playing the same game. And that what that does show though is that you can finish one hundred and twenty eighth or one hundred and twentieth in driving distance and still be and still be in the top five in a U.S. Open. Is is this setting a bad precedent for junior golfers? Is it setting the precedent that distance is everything and it's not so much skill? Because let, let me be completely honest, Scott. My son is in eighth grade. You know mm-hmm. that he is a, a fairly decent golfer. And all I have taught him from when he was young is we are going to swing this as hard as we can. Because I can't teach you speed once you have it in your head that you need to swing smooth, right? But I can straighten that ball out in two weeks, okay, with you. But I need you to understand speed. And, yeah, you can do speed training stuff, but there's, there's, a, certain, um, there's a certain fear factor with, with junior golfers, I think, that comes into play when they start to see the ball spray left and right. They're like, oh, I, I lost another ball. I lost another ball. But that's okay. The, the, the speed's there. And then what I see a lot with a lot of junior golfers is they tend to dial back. So instead mm-hmm. of launching it 220, right, they'd rather hit it 185 and be in the fairway. And, I, and, and look, you and I hear this from old golfers all the time. Well, I'd, I'd, I'd gladly take 205 in the middle of the fairway. Really? Because I would take 275 in thick rough any day over your 205 in the fairway. Yeah, that's a significant difference. And and this tournament proved it. So are are we setting a precedent? Is the USGA is is the golf world setting a precedent that says to junior golfers you can only compete at a high level if you can bomb the ball at least 300 yards? Hmm. I, you know, I didn't think about it that way. That is a really good point because, you know, my, my original thought is there's really two games. There's the pro game and then there's the game that the rest of us play. Of course. But I, I'm also not in a position where, you know, I, I'm working with uh, a junior golfer who's pretty good uh, on a regular basis, you know, like your son. Um, you know, obviously I, I follow him along with what he's up to, but I, you know, you, I don't really think about it that way. But now that you mention it, you know, that that's the distance problem. I don't think the problems in the pro game. I don't think the problems the problem exists for amateurs because, again, me personally, yeah, you know, I'll, as long as I hit the ball in the fairway, I'm okay. You know, I'll figure it out from there. But where the problem with the pros hitting it so far is is the the junior golfers definitely. So and, that and- that is a problem. And I think too, it's only at you know, uh, I don't want to say high level. I you know, please don't don't get the impression that we travel around the country to play junior golf. I mean, it's just something that he he likes to do. But you know, I I see it more often now. You know, he's in eighth grade, right? And he's been playing with the high school team. He's the longest kid on the high school team, and some of these other kids that are not competitive are thinking that same way. Well, I, I hit the fairway. That's good. It is good. But when he's 100 yards or 120 yards ahead of you and he's hitting, you know, a uh, sand wedge, 
a hundred yards in and, and you are hitting three wood, like you cannot compete. Right? That that is that is impossible. If I outdrove you every every hole scott by fifty yards, I don't care how accurate you are, you can't compete over the long haul. No, not not at all. And that's and that's the thing, like you know, I, I, I play decent sometimes, but in the end, you know, I, I'm not that long off the tee. So me playing against my, my neighbor, for example, you know, he's, uh, you know, mid-70s every time out there. Uh, from, I would say, you know, the middle of the fairway to the pin, the two of us are probably about as good, but he just hits the ball further than me. Right. And, and the thing is, like, it's not just hitting the ball further than you off the tee. Right. It's that Mm -hmm. he also hits his pitching wedge further than you and his nine iron and his gap wedge. So while you might hit a pitching wedge from 100 yards, you know, he's trying he's scoring with a lob wedge. Yeah. Yeah. Well, when I say if if you put the two of us in the middle of the fairway and that's where we played from, if we kind of played from the same spot, we would probably shoot about the same score. Gotcha. Gotcha. But, you know, the bottom line is like in order to be competitive you need to be long nowadays you need to be strong it's it's a different world whereas even 25 years ago if a kid wanted to play like d3 golf and he wasn't the longest off the tee he could still say to himself well you know what i can still score you know i mean i can still get around but the way that course setup has become and and the way that the game is trending distance is key um and, and you know we you see in other sports too. The, the 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 closest example is probably baseball. You know where where home runs are ki- are are king now. And it used to be back in the day, like we would chastise guys for having 100, 150 strikeouts. Now, if a dude can knock in forty five to fifty home runs, no one cares how many times they strike out. Yep, that's it's become a you know hit it you know hit it as far as you can kind of thing and. If it gets over the fence, great. And if you get out, well, next time we get hit over the fence. Yeah. And and again, I'm not I'm not hating on any of it. It's just the way that sports and populations progress. And we are we are seeing this come to a head um right now. Now let me ask you this. This is this is forecasting far out, Scott. This is mid November. Um how does Bryson do sorry, how does he who shall not be named do with the Masters? <laughs> Um, I mean, I think he'll be competitive. Uh, do I think that, uh, I think Augusta is different. I, I really do. And, and, you know, obviously you can win by hitting the ball far and you don't have to be, you know, completely on the fairway. You can miss the fairway and still be okay. You know, we've seen guys do that. Um, I just think that Augusta's different. It's, it's you have to know how to play Augusta. It's not just a, I can hit the ball as far as I can and, you know, go catch it and catch up to it and then hit it again. I feel like there's a there's a sh- more strategy to it. Yeah, I think I think I agree with you 100. percent Augusta is one of those courses where you need to know the greens, um, but and, Augusta and you need to know where, where you no can. Room. That's true. And you need to know where you can miss. Um, you need to know the greens really, really well, um, which is, you know, that explains 
in a lot of cases, the success of Jack and Tiger is they know those greens inside and out. So, you know, it, again, I'm not saying Bryson can't perform well there. I just feel like it's something that's it's an acquired knowledge. Understood. Understood. Um, what were your thoughts on the USGA's presence, the USGA's setup of everything that that went down this week in, in what turned out to be, um, I mean, I, I thought a pretty spectacular U.S. Open given everything that went on beforehand and, and during it as well. I, I think they did a nice job. I mean, again, it's, it's tough without the crowd there because you definitely lose a little something. Um, but what I thought was really cool is that they, they, you know, they had a ton of volunteers, um, which I, I'm guessing were just a bunch of winged foot members that they were, yep. they let on the grounds wearing USGA volunteer clothing. Um, so I, I thought that was kind of cool cause you did get a little crowd reaction sometimes. And there are uh, some houses that, that encroach uh, that, you know, that people were lining up around the fence line and stuff around two, three, and four. Yep. Around was, that little bend in the course. I was going to say around like the third, fourth hole, there was the, the neighbors. So I thought yes. that was, that was cool. It was nice to have like the little bit of reaction. Um, you know, it's again, it's, it's different, but in the end, you know, you don't really watching it. You don't really notice it. It's, it's just golf. And, um, yeah, I thought it was fine. There's an I old adage. I don't know how much I love winged foot on TV. Uh, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, uh, I don't want to, I don't want to disagree, but I will say this. I the, the pod right before this, I talked about how well it's going to pop in the fall. And I really think it did. I, I, I thought the greens, you know, the variations of the mm. color green showed real well. Um, but one of the things that I really liked about Fox when they had the telecast was the fact that they were the new kid on the block. They were always willing to try something new with, you know, they, they brought drones. They brought sky cams to golf. And they were always trying to do new looks and new views and camera angles. And when you go back to NBC, and don't even get me started about putting – crap on the peacock um but when you go back to nbc you kind of go back in time to like that old stodgy golf and while i do hold a place for that in my heart a, a lot of me wants to see them try stuff but i feel like nbc is that that old grandfather that's like why should i try anything different it's worked for 60 years right people are gonna watch anyway right and it was it, and it was compelling with Bryson, but I feel like Wingfoot can show itself better, especially with the undulation of some of the green complexes, than they did. I thought we had some very mundane, boring camera angles once again for early coverage. Um, I like the USGA site a little bit better than the mainstream coverage, but you know, look, I mean, gosh, the 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 people that watch golf on TV that aren't diehard Scott. Uh, I mean, I'm probably, I'm not talking to our audience, obviously, if you're listening to this, you're a diehard golf fan, but exactly. the bottom line is when, when you have Nick Faldo and you have Azinger, like do golf fans realize that they're talking to you like you're an idiot because it's exactly what they're doing. They are talking to you like you are a friggin' moron. 
And that's the golf coverage we get on national TV, and I hate it. Uh, that That's the thing is they definitely are. Um, I hate Nick Faldo. I can't. I can't listen to him, Scott. Yeah, he's not the best golf announcer I've ever heard. I feel like Nick Faldo comes in on purpose, completely unprepared, every day of every week of every tournament. Yeah, and then he just makes bad like pun jokes too. Yes, like, there's a lot of that going on. Yes. Um, here, here's my, and I'm gonna, I, I'm gonna just play devil's advocate with the Wingfoot thing, and and again, listen, uh, Wingfoot is, it's not in my backyard, but it's pretty close. It's um, pretty damn close to you, Scott. Yeah, that's it's the same terrain that you live in, you know? Exactly. And that's the kind of course that that I play on a regular basis. And that's the kind of course, you know, obviously significantly nicer than you and I grew up playing. You know, that Correct. that's that's what you get here. Um and the the one issue I have with it is every hole is essentially the same. You know, in a lot of ways, you I'll know, give, I'll give you that, man. I, I, you know what? You're, you're right about that. You really are because I watched a ton of coverage. Okay. And I haven't watched a ton of golf lately. Like, you know, being the same profession as I am, life has been hectic as of late with everything that's going on. And I haven't mm-hmm. watched a lot of golf, but I was able to sit home. You know, we did some, uh, smoke burnt ends on the, on the smoker. I was, Chris I was, Weber. Chris Weber, of course. Shout out Chris Weber. Don't call timeouts when you're mm-hmm. cooking, the, you know, when you're smoking the burn ends. But I had a lot of time. I mean, I watched the entire final day. Yeah, and me then too. I watched a lot at the range. And I'll tell you what, dude, you're a hundred percent right. Like, aside from 18, because of the elevated green and with the gorgeous, I mean, one of the most iconic clubhouses in the world behind it, you know, maybe the fourth hole, that par three, maybe those are the ones that actually like stick out in my mind of visualizing what they look like. And I probably watched 20 plus hours of coverage. Right. And that's a great point. And here's the thing. And I've, I've obviously never been there. Um, but I guarantee if, you know, some Wingfoot member invited us there, it, we'd go through like two holes and be like, okay, I get, I get it. Um, it's just on TV. It doesn't play well. And you're right. NBC didn't do it any favors, you know, and it, and that's the thing, you know, Wingfoot, you know, it does not have the, the natural geography of, I mean, obviously Pebble or, or Bandon, you know, those kind of things that they stand out. This is, you know, it's a golf course through a, a wooded area. It's beautiful. I'm sure if we were there, we'd be like, wow, this this is amazing. But on TV, it's, you know, it's a green fairway and there's a green and then we're going to go to the next hole and there's some trees on the side and the next hole is the same. And it, I, I don't know what more NBC could have done, but I would have liked to see them try. I think I think the challenge at Wingfoot is subtle in nature, right? If you take... um. I'm trying to give people a, a good example. I mean, I guess Pebble is probably the best example. Even take away the Pacific, Pebble routes itself beautifully. But I don't think Pebble has like the real subtleties of 
a Wingford or uh, of these classic Northeast courses because you look at Wingfoot, um, you know, help me out with some others. You look at like Sleepy Hollow. Well, Sleepy, um, Sleepy Hollow has some Sleepy Hollow has some character. Yeah, has some iconic holes, right? Yeah. I'm trying I'm, I'm I'm give me some other ones in that area. What I'm trying to do, Scott, is mm. is make the point that the topography in that area is not necessarily glamorous. However, well, Westchester Country are, Club Yes, yes, yes. Thank you. There are some courses, Brookline, like right? Like that, um, like Westchester Country Club, like Sleepy Hollow. That the architects made. You know, they mm-hmm. granted it could be fake, call it whatever you will, but they made character. And you're right. I don't think Wingfoot has the character. However, it has the difficulty, right? Which oh, is definitely. what the members love. At Wingfoot, it's like a Pine Valley. Granted, a bad example because Pine Valley, every hole is you know completely separate and gorgeous looking, but it's the difficulty that that people love. It's like an Oakmont, right? Like mm-hmm. I've walked the grounds of Oakmont for three days, and guess what? There's like four holes that stick out: the church pews, one, eighteen, you know, and one of the par threes, and the rest is just like oh, a brute of a par four, oh, a brute of a par five, oh, a brute of a par four. Well, and Beth Page is essentially the same thing too. It's just there's a you know a few holes that stand out visually, and then a bunch of the holes are again basically the same. It's just you're going uphill one way, downhill the next, and the dog leg right one hole and dog leg left the next. And yeah, there's variety out there. And when you're playing it, you you pick up on it. But on TV, it just doesn't doesn't pop as well. Yeah, I think the I think the thing is you know, um, and and granted, I can't remember much of Wingfoot in 06 when, when Phil lost in Ogilvy 1, while Montgomery mm-hmm. lost it too. Uh, but with the Hans redesign of the greens, you know, I wonder if adding that much square footage per green made the greens more blasé, right? It's just they're, they're bigger, they're fatter, mm-hmm. there's more space to it. Okay, here's a big green. Where sometimes some of the most interesting greens are these small ones with a little knob or a little knoll here or there. Right. Yeah, that's a good point. I don't know. I don't know. Um, what else happened during it? Here's one of the things I would have loved. We have we have some very good friends inside the USGA. You know, let's be honest. We're kind of homers for the USGA. Um, Mike Tirico, yeah, Mike Tirico spoke on national television about the Moon Club, right? And uh, the sock that was in it and the, hid the balls in it, hid it on the moon and all that stuff, right? And... You know, our own, our friend Hillary Kronheim, who is in charge of the USGA Museum, the director of it, uh, was literally like right off camera there, was the one who put the club there. And I just thought they missed a great opportunity to spotlight the USGA Museum, which is completely uh, underserved and underutilized in the golf community. Mm. People should go visit it. But I thought it's something where, like, why wouldn't you bring out the director? Of golf, unless she didn't want to, you know. Unless I was going to say she may not have wanted to, um, and, but and, I, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, if if you're running a thing where you're talking about the history of golf, uh, and you don't offer Hillary Kronheim an opportunity to talk, you've missed a huge opportunity. And and granted, she is so humble and so modest. She may have just been like, "No, I want the artifacts to do the talking for themselves. Mm-hmm. I don't need to be there." But I think a little bit of history and, and even just a plug of, hey, 
you know, Liberty Corners is 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 close to, you know, a population of 50 million people or whatever. And you should come by and check out the museum. And I just think that being a USGA produced event, they could have promoted themselves a little bit more. Mm. That's all I'm saying. Uh, again, you're like, like you said, maybe they they she didn't want to. But uh, I'll be honest with you. I listen to her talk about golf artifacts for hours and hours and and we did um and i i could listen to her keep talking about golf more and more because she knows a ton about pretty much everything in that museum so there's not a much better ambassador for the game uh that they could have put on tv during their championship correct correct um one of the things that that i looked which i just stumbled across this morning because i purposely I purposely did not read anyone else's opinions about the U.S. Open because I knew we were recording tonight. I was excited, mm-hmm. honestly, to get back to kind of, you know, a schedule of recording with you. And a ton of people have asked, like, when are you and Scott doing together? I'm like, well, you know, life is crazy. Like, we will. This is not our full-time jobs. We do it for fun. But one of the things I was browsing through my, you know, my websites in the morning, my bookmarks at work, and I get to ESPN. And ESPN on the right hand side, if you've ever been to ESPN, you know, dot com has mm-hmm. top headlines. And literally the last top headline was he who shall not be named, you know, wins US Open at Wingfoot. And stupid, just stupid mundane headlines above it. And then I said, well, maybe it'll jump to the top as the day progresses because what a big story. It's Bryson who wins, even though I shouldn't be saying his name. And it's iconic. It's Wingfoot. It's USGA at a different time this year. And I go on later in the afternoon, and it's not even up there anymore. Yep. I know how important it is in your life, in my life, in the listeners' lives. But it still strikes me as insane in this day and age, especially during COVID when so many people are playing golf and getting out there, just how few people actually care about professional golf. Well, it's also normally the U.S. Open would not occur on a, the same Sunday that football was being played. This is correct. Um, it's also normally not going on usually at the same. Well, no, I guess it would be. At the same time as the NBA Finals. But uh, if I'm correct, that actually yeah. does usually work around about yep. the same yep. time. Well, um, yeah, because the NBA Finals are June, usually the earliest June, and the USGA is Father's Day uh, ending, well, so late to mid, you know, mid to late June. Well, if, if you remember uh, the, the, if you remember Arnold Palmer's last US Open, uh, that was, I think, the first or second game of the NBA Finals. And you know what else was going on that day? Uh, it, it should. <laughs> when I tell you, you're going to be like, no way. Uh, what year was it? Uh, 90 something. Oh, 94. Not... No, nine. Oh. Yeah. I mean, I, uh, it was the OJ white Bronco chase. Oh my God. You, oh my God. I should know that. I saw the OJ thing on TV that they did with the sports and they kept cutting to Arnold because that's right, Scott, because he was crying in the in the press conference afterwards, yep. you know? Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's oh, cool. wait, that Yes, that was on that was on ESPN. Yeah, there was a 30 for 30. Yeah. Yep. yep. Wow, that's yep. wild. Um tell me about it. Yeah, if if 
if our younger listeners don't know, uh, O.J. Simpson was a running back for the Buffalo Bills. Now, also a murderer. Ah, uh, allegedly. <laughs> Correct. Wink. We'll just we'll just go with that. We'll go with that. <laughs> um, yeah, look, I gotta say, Scott. Besides getting blocked by the U.S. Open <laughs> besides getting blocked by the U.S. Open Champs, pretty damn good week, buddy. It is well. I, so, and I'll I'll let the listeners in on my my success this week. Uh, I was in a, a little U.S. Open pool, and uh, unfortunately, uh, I came in second place. Um, but all I picked six guys. Only Cameron Champ missed the cut. Um, the rest of the guys I had picked all made the top 10 and had Matthew Wolf made that putt on 18, I would have won a significantly uh, greater sum of money than I did. Uh, but he missed it and he made par and then I lost the tiebreaker. So I came in second. Hey, all good. You got some money off of him. Um, I want to talk one more thing, which I think the listeners uh, would appreciate. Depending on when you're listening, it's Monday night that we're recording now. Uh, it'll be up Monday night. Most of you won't listen until you know Tuesday morning on your way to work. So let's just say today at three o'clock, we have Tiger Woods and Justin Thomas teaming up as Team USA versus Rory McIlroy and Justin Rose teaming up as Team Urus. Europe, excuse me, in the Payne's Valley Cup. Now, Payne's Valley is Tiger Woods' first public golf course design. Mm-hmm. Um, I had the the surreal experience of, of watching it be created as my son and I were at um, Top of the Rock at, um, uh, sorry, at uh, Buffalo Ridge Springs eating there. And uh, it's, it's right next to it's in Missouri there. It's all part of Big Cedar Lodge, which uh, the guy who owns Big Bass Pro Shops basically made this outdoor mecca resort. Uh, Gary Player has a course called Mountaintop. Uh, there's a nine-hole course called Top of the Rock. Buffalo Ridge Springs is there. Um, there's another one that I, we played. I can't remember the name off the top of, top of my head. But Payne's Valley was being created and. And, uh, you know, as we're sitting there, we're the only ones eating outside. And my son is like, wow, I wonder if Tiger Woods is on the ground right now. I said, ah, you got to understand with these type of projects, the dude's there like two or three times. But Tiger was actually on site quite a bit. And this, you want to talk about courses that present themselves visually. Scott, this is some topography in the middle of Missouri. Uh, This is about 30 minutes or so outside of Branson. So you're talking west of St. Louis. Uh, It is is gorgeous. There are some incredible natural rock formations out there, which will remind people a lot of like Bryce Canyon in Utah, Mm. if you've ever been out there. It's this weird sandstone that is just absolutely gorgeous. so it's very cool to have been out there in this kind of little-known place, which is getting bigger and bigger because Johnny Morris, who owns Bass Pro Shops and Big Cedar Lodge, um, he partnered up with the Champions Tour to bring an event there. That's actually the event that Phil won. Phil won it on uh, the one course that I don't know why. I can't remember the name of it because as soon as we get off recording, it's going to come to me. But that's where Phil's win was two, three weeks ago, and it is a phenomenal place. It is a phenomenal resort, and from the eight holes that were completed when I was there, 
it looks mind-blowing. So I can't wait to see what it looks like on TV. Because, look, Tiger Woods' design style can be summed up in two words. Augusta National. Blue Jack National in, uh, in mm-hmm. Texas looks just like Augusta. This place, uh, this place looks like Augusta Light, if you will. There's, little, there's subtle hints, but it takes into uh, play a little bit more of the natural topography. Blue Jack National in Texas. Like If you step on the ground, you're like, oh, I'm in the middle of Georgia. Yeah, basically, that's what he did there. But, but this yeah. is his actual, like his own design. Well, it's like it's like the par threes at Muirfield Village. Yes, they're, they're basically just yes. just just make Augusta here, and just that we're good with the par threes, and then I'll figure everything else around that. They well, uh, but they really are. Oh no, it's 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 obscene. I don't um, know if people have ever played like replica courses. You know, like oh, the first hole is supposed to simulate the first hole at St Andrews or something like that. Like Muirfield Village, really, the par threes are all Augusta's par threes. Uh, this place, the Paynes Valley, um, it, it looks amazing. It, it, I, I'm it, just looking at a couple pictures online. It, it's, I, I don't even understand how this one hole works, but, uh, <laughs> whatever. I mean, I was so enamored. Uh, two holes. That's why. <laughs> after, after we had played, uh, after we played Buffalo Ridge Springs, which literally there's Buffalo on the course. Like it's not even a joke on the first hole and they're that's fenced dope. in and stuff. But on the first hole, there's there's like a herd of buffalo as you tee off, and they follow you around because there's all feed stations around like the perimeter of the court. It's wild. It's so mm. wild. Um, but what's 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 cool is this course is so different, and every hole looks so different. And the logo is a silhouette of Payne in his knickers leaning on a putter. And I was so taken with the logo that three years or two years, I guess, before the course opened, you know, I got a towel. And I've had this towel on my bag for two plus years, and I cannot even tell you the number of people who are like, well, "What's that, dude? Where's that?" And then I have to explain, like, "Oh, it's this place in Ridgedale, Missouri. It's it's re- it's not done yet. Tigers build it, but it's not done." Like, I've never heard of it. Yeah, you will, like, you will trust me. And then finally tomorrow, from three to seven p.m. on the Golf Channel, everything that I've been telling people finally comes to fruition. Well, that is a pretty cool logo. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's I, neat. I, I, I agree with you. It's neat. Hmm. Um, all right, so so let's be honest. In in the future, we're gonna have a kick-ass song by our man Tiger Hoods. Um, I mean, have you ever had a a rap song created for you, Scott? Um, I have been involved. My name has been in a rap song about uh, multiple people. Uh, it's a kid at school one time did something with a bunch of teachers in it, which was kind of cool. Then I, there's actually another kid who um, raps. He has a legit like rap career. Um, I don't think he makes any money from it, but he's got like two albums out and um, not me, but a bunch of my friends he has rapped about, uh, which is also kind of cool. He had literally one rap about the football coach at the high school I work at, uh, we played for um the whole the whole thing's about him which is pretty cool but uh no not about me personally or or about the two of us certainly i feel like in terms of street cred in the podcast world we already had some now i feel like we have it all 
Oh yeah. I mean that, that's the thing. Like, uh, you know, who else are you going to get to, to sing the intro to your podcast? Who better than Tiger Hoods? Who better? That's what I say. Who better? Exactly. I mean, all right, buddy, we got anything else for the good people? This is a good episode, man. Is it a lot to get off our chest? A lot. It's been like, it's been a while. So it's been a while. Um, Nah, I, I got nothing. Maybe you and I can get some golfing because I haven't played since the spring. So I mean that 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 hurts my heart more than this fat idiot blocking us on Instagram. I I so I had my parents sold their house. Right. And, uh, so as my my dad was cleaning up the house, he found a a bunch of my old golf clubs, and it's nothing that I would play with now. But I, they were sitting in my garage, and the other day I was done mowing the lawn, and I was just like, you know what? I'm gonna go swing this a few times, and it's this old like three iron, like it's a blade, like there's no way like I could hit a like legit golf ball with it. Yeah, it looks like a this, butter knife. Uh, exactly, and have the the um have the result be any good? And I just went out there and I was swinging in the backyard a little bit, and you know it it felt good, and I was almost like, you know what? I'm gonna hit a ball and i just didn't because like i said i probably would have broke something yeah i got uh i got nine holes in with my youngest uh tonight and i bet him a dollar we played for a dollar uh he's got a broken toe he's dealing with so i didn't want him swinging full so i dropped him <laughs> that's <off>. right <laughs> yeah <laughs> dropped him off uh <laughs> 60 to 70 yards out and he played from there so we could take you know three quarter shots and stuff and i played obviously for my tees uh and he beat me one up we played straight up and he beat me one up kid was dropping putts uh like the fat boy from all over the place good for him you yeah know, drive, drive for show putt for dough yeah i gotta i gotta curtail my uh my gambling habits i'm gonna end up like tyler mm. shout out to tyler the creator all right um, i think that's good man all right we're good all right people look you know the deal either get busy golfing or get busy dying all right be good The game of golf is more than a sport. It's a lifestyle. Blue skies, bright sun, the walk, good friends, and the shots that keep you coming back. That is golf. Iconic, vintage, classic. Eagles and Arrows didn't create the look. They've only perfected it. Eagles and Arrows provides the classic American golf look with a modern spin. Hats, gloves, club head covers, and my favorite, the vintage American carry bag are some of the amazing items you can find at eaglesandarrows.com. Follow them on Instagram at eaglesandarrows.co. It's eaglesandarrows.company.co on Instagram. Love golf, live life, eaglesandarrows.